0: with me a guest today that uh, you've probably seen him uh, on the news he is uh, he's a terrifically outspoken man who has uh, just some amazing ideas when it comes to helping not only his community but the people who work for him and the people that are trying to get right with their community. His programs are amazing. Uh, Sheriff Toulon, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much, Sergeant Smith. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. And I wanna, I wanna get right to it because here we are in the era of defunding, and yet you're a guy who is implementing some of the most innovative programs that I've, I've ever seen, especially for your most vulnerable populations. And those include the population that you have in your very large uh, jail. Can you, can you talk about how defunding would impact some of those programs and some of those populations that you serve?
1: To defund the, the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office would be very detrimental to the most vulnerable population. When you think about individuals who have mental health issues, substance abuse issues, uh, young kids that have made poor choices You know, how do we fund these programs to help them return back to our communities so that they're a little bit more successful than when they were arrested? You know, to defund the police on any manner, whether it comes to um, removing training or reducing training in any law enforcement agency, reducing staffing, you know, I think what what has occurred is that elected officials that do not know anything about law enforcement are making the decisions. And what should occur is that when they appoint someone as the chief of police let that man or woman run their department to the best of their ability instead of trying to infuse their own political views you know into law enforcement
0: well and you know you mentioned something that that i i think people a lot of people don't really understand we end up with people in our custody especially young people and sometimes people who are veterans sometimes even senior citizens who are there because, not because they're born bad, but because they made a very bad decision, or sometimes a series of smaller bad decisions that kind of pile up. And I know you have some programs that are trying to help people spend their time in jail, get out, and then re-enter the community as successful citizens, right?
1: Yes, you know, we have a Sheriff's Addiction Treatment Program, which helps those that have uh, substance abuse issues. We've created a pod. We had over 300 inmates who were over the age of 55. So we created a pod just for those that are 50 years of age and older. You know, As of yesterday, I had uh, two individuals over the age of 70. And so when you think about 70 year-, year olds in a housing area with 18 or 19 year old young men, you know, it can be very challenging and a very tense situation. Uh, we've worked on um, a, a choose to thrive program for our female population because We realize many of them not only have domestic violence issues, substance abuse issues, many of them are victims of human trafficking. So how can we help them change their lives around? And then most recently, we created a family reunification program. So we're helping individuals who are incarcerated reconnect with their families and then a start resource center. So post incarceration, individuals can uh, work on uh, their job situation, their housing situation, their medical uh, department of social services. And so my correction staff are actually connecting them to the various resources in the communities they're returning back to.
0: See, and that's excellent. And and you spent most of your career in the, on the correctional side of law enforcement, but now as the sheriff, you also manage a very large enforcement arm of the sheriff's department. And one of the, again, one of the very cool things about what you do is you use technology and you use data to seek out where crimes are occurring, who's committing them so that you can, your people can target those areas and those gangsters or uh, what, whatever else you might be dealing with. Right. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure, what we do is each day we break down where our population is, you know, not only the demographics and racial or age, or ethnicity, but where are they coming from in Suffolk County? And then once we break down where they're coming from, so I know where in the 10 towns in Suffolk County uh, these individuals are coming from, and also Nassau County in New York City, but what are the crimes that are being committed in certain pockets of our community, so that we can look at, we exchange information with our other law enforcement partners, so when individuals are released from our custody, uh, if Errol Toulon is released back to, you know, a particular town and he's in for robbery. And we notice now that robberies have been increased. You know, our partners can focus to see if he's a possible suspect. So really using data to try and understand the, the individuals that we have. And then also, you know, are there underlying causes that are occurring in those various communities why certain crimes may be occurring? So I, I think it's really a, a unique approach that we're taking from a sheriff's perspective to really, um, really target uh, and analyze where crimes are being committed and who are committing these crimes.
0: You actually came into the Sheriff's Department and created specialty units to deal with specific crimes, didn't you?
1: Right. And, you know, one of the things that's unique is because I'm an elected official. And so those jurisdictions that you just meant, mentioned are uh, individuals who are appointed and have to follow the guidelines of either the city councils, the mayors, or other elected officials where, you know, I only answer to the people of Suffolk County and I, can fe- I feel I make the best choices for the residents, really not only to keep our community safe, but what are we doing to help those individuals? Because I, 80 to 85% of the men and women that are incarcerated are returning back to our community. And so how do we assist them to really help uh, public safety when they return back? And, you know, that's what we're looking at holistically, you know, in our office.
0: Does it frustrate you how political policing has become in the United States?
1: You know, not only is it frustrating, I come from a long line. My father was in law enforcement for 36 years and my younger brother brother for 33 years. And so we've worked with many, many good people. And, you know, some people that just didn't take the job as seriously, not, nothing egregious, you know, as some of the incidents that we've seen. But a lot of people that make these are uh, who are specifically Monday morning quarterbacks when we see you know tragic incidents occur you know I often think about how many levels of government has failed before the police had to get involved with an individual you know did that person go to social service did that person seek out uh mental health treatment or substance abuse and different layers of government had failed and now they're interacting with law enforcement and if if it's if it's unfortunately or, and it's tragic you know, we, we try to look at what was the best best practice that we were using uh, during that encounter. But no man and woman wakes up every single day, as you know, to look to harm someone in our community. You know, we're here to help. We're here to protect. We're here to serve. And we try to inspire our, our youth, you know, to be better people when, when they see us.
0: Absolutely. And when we, t- again, talking about our young people, I know one of the things that, that is very near and dear to your heart is uh, preventing school violence. And uh, and again, in in these, this era where we have some who are saying, um, get police out of the schools, keep police away from children, I know that you have a very different opinion of how we should handle that. Is that correct?
1: Yes. You know, since I've taken office, and, and this is prior to COVID, I've been in one to two schools per week you know really to talk to students about bullying vaping opioids and gangs cuz they those seem to be the primary themes but when you talk about police in the schools one of the things that has occurred over the years specifically with school resource officers is that school administrators are no longer handling the the some of the issues that they used to handle in the past so now they're directly going right to the police officer that creates a negative environment between a student and a police officer because the police officer is now looking is being looked at as a disciplinarian or the person they do not wanna be seen with or, or referred to, you know, if the school administrators started to handle some of the issues that are occurring, instead of calling the police while they're in the school, you know, maybe some of that tension will be reduced and it will be more respect because the biggest thing, we've lost, some, most people in, our, in the communities have lost respect for us, which is really tragic because they've lost respect for us, but when there's a, an incident, The only thing they're doing is picking up the phone, calling 911, and expecting law enforcement to respond.
0: What advice would you have for communities who want to be able to communicate better with their police leadership?
1: You know, I I think the community and our law enforcement community should all make an effort to really sit down and discuss the issues. Most of those issues, some, you know, are very uncomfortable, uh, things that we don't want to talk about, but we really need to address to really make our community safer. And more more importantly, it's just a matter of respect and better understanding of what someone else is is seeing uh, through their lens and how law enforcement needs to respond. You know, we created a community advisory board and we were only going to have two representatives per town in, in the 10 towns in Suffolk County. We wound up having 90 individuals participate in our community advisory board. And I think it's been so helpful in just the understanding of the role of the Sheriff's Office here in Suffolk County, what we do with our specialized units, how we react, we give updates every month on things that have a, a, occurred. And the community has really want to engage in a positive aspect with the Sheriff's Office. And it's not a negative perception of what we do every single day.
0: Well, you know, and some law enforcement people are afraid of those community advisory boards. How do you manage to keep that relationship Positive,
1: you know, some of the questions are are very tough, and some of them uh, really don't seem uh, reasonable. uh, When when some of the questions or some of the requests, but you know, we're trying. We try to understand where a person is coming from. Try to respect their point of view. We hope that they understand. Uh, We're not going to back down from any dialogue. We're not going to back down from any particular conversations. There's nothing that's off limits. We want to make sure that everybody's able to engage and talk about whatever they feel comfortable with. And, you know, we, we have to sometimes, you know, you know, swallow our pride and say when, you know what, when someone is right, they're right. Or even if their ideas are correct, we should explore them really, if, to really make sure our communities are safe.
0: Well, and, and, you know, police officers are people too. So we do, we do make mistakes um, and we do have to address those mistakes. And I know one of the things that I've heard you talk about in the past, is training police training that, that there are some changes that we need to make in the way that we conduct our training, how often we conduct it, um, and because a, a huge part of police training, of course, is keeping police officers safe, right. but we there are other things that we have to address as well. Correct?
1: Right, and and you know, you being a you know a sergeant would know this firsthand. Also, to two things uh, two things that I've always viewed how law enforcement agencies fail are training and supervision. And so when you know when the call comes to defund the police, those are two things that are going to be mostly most adversely affected in any law enforcement agency. And so my call is to increase the training, increase the level of supervision by training those staff, making sure that they're engaged, making sure that when individuals, you know, supervisors are looking at potential issues, they're not turning a blind eye. And we have to realize that the same person that comes on the job. I came on a job at 20 years of age. And so I'm not the same person now at 58 years of age that I was as a young kid. And so we have to realize too, that not only are there health issues, there's financial issues, there's relationship issues that our staff are going through and that they're going through the same thing that everybody else in life are going through. And so how do we help manage them? We now have a younger generation that are more tech savvy and their interpersonal communication skills are not what we would probably want them to be. And so those are the things that we really need to work on to really engage in our community. And though that's where we should increase the funding and increase you know, um, our, our time into our law enforcement agencies instead of reducing staff and reducing training.
0: How do you think as police leaders, we can manage, do a better job of managing the mental health of our personnel as well? Because you know, just what you talked about, we have multiple generations on our staff. Um, we have young people that start and they're very idealistic and, and things quickly change because you know, as you and I both know, a police officer sees more trauma and tragedy in the first two or three years on the job than most people see in a lifetime. And police mental health is starting to become a crisis for us. How do you, how do you think we can better manage that in American law enforcement?
1: You know, what I've been doing with my staff is actually going out and talking to not only my my uh, executive team, but speaking to my staff themselves. And really, you know, especially this time of year, when the holiday season, when different things can be occurring in our, you know, our staff's lives, whether they may have lost someone. Now specifically, we're dealing with COVID and some have lost uh, family members and close friends to COVID. Some are experiencing uh, financial issues because... You know, the other member of the household may have had, uh, may have been laid off from their, their job or some other financial. Their children now are learning from home instead of going into the school. And so that interpersonal, interpersonal and that socialization has changed. And so, you know, to really stay on top of the staff is to continually talk to them. I talk to my sergeants, lieutenants, and captains to ensure that they're not only just in, when they're speaking to staff. It's just not from a law enforcement perspective, it's more humanistic. And so that they can see, look into their eyes and see if there's something wrong. Are they coming late? Do they seem disheveled? Do they seem like they're rushing to get to work all of a sudden? You no, know, if you notice a pattern of latenesses or just coming in right before a roll call or a lineup. You know, those little things that we start to see different things occur, you know, with our staff, when you realize something's wrong and sometimes you just don't want to address it, we have to address it now in 2020 more than more than before
0: absolutely and and you know i in looking at your background you know you like me you were on the job uh in new york state um during nine eleven oh one, and you're you have a, an education uh, an educational background in homeland security with all the talk of politics the concern about covid the the talking about defunding or reimagining policing Sheriff, do you think we're losing sight of uh, radical Islam potential, uh, their potential for attacks? Are we losing sight of potential terrorist attacks in general in the United States?
1: You know, uh, I think we're most concerned not only from uh, a terrorist attack from afar, but also domestic terrorism, uh, which we see you know, more and more uh, radical groups uh, coming up inside of our, you know, throughout our nation. And so I think we need to be very vigilant. We've seen an increase in crime um, due to uh, many changes in legislation and local laws throughout, all, throughout the United States. And so you know, it's becoming more and more of an issue when we see crime increasing, communities calling for defunding the police, and then how do the men and women that report to work every day feel about their job, going to the community, responding to a call, knowing that they could potentially be second guessed on a life and death situation
0: and you know one of the problems again that i don't think citizens understand is that even though the police have arrested someone it doesn't mean that our prosecutors are going to prosecute those cases and we're seeing around the united states an increasing separation in the kind of in the goals between law enforcement and law enforcement leadership and our sometimes our prosecutors do you have you experienced that frustration
1: You know, I'm lucky. We have a a great district attorney here in Suffolk County. But, you know, when when you talk about things like that, especially with our police department, you know, responding, we're seeing more and more domestic violence issues, you know, than ever before. Um, You know, we can we can stay because of financial issues, because of COVID. But, you know, we've seen an increase in in substance abuse. We've seen an increase in mental health issues. And so, you know, these are the things that unfortunately police officers have to make a decision right then and there, one, to get the person help, two, to stop the commission of, of an unlawful act, and three, we, we tend to always forget about the victims of the crimes. You know, I know we want to help you know, those individuals that are have, have issues, but the victims of the crime shouldn't be lost whenever we respond to an incident because they're the ones that really need to be protected.
0: Uh, yeah, very well said. So Sheriff, we're, gonna, we're seeing here in the United States, uh, there's going to be an inevitable, and there already is in some areas, an, an inevitable inability or a crisis really for law enforcement agencies to be able to not only recruit new police officers, but to be able to retain the ones that we have. We're seeing retirements and resignations. What do you think is the best way for American law enforcement, especially our leadership, to deal with that issue in the, in the coming months and years?
1: You know, when, when it comes to resignations, I think we really need to one, are we compensating, first of all, all law enforcement community, you know, which should be commiserate for the work that they're doing every single day. And then, secondarily, you know, I think it's incumbent upon the leadership to really actively uh, have a finger on the pulse. There are just some men and women that the job is just not for. Um, whether it's on the correction side or whether it's patrolling the streets of of our communities and really I, as i said earlier it's incumbent upon the supervisors to really do a good assessment because a lot of times that when a person's on that cusp of should i keep this job or maybe i should go and do something else maybe it's just do some mentoring do some training just do some coaching you know we can get them over that hump so that they're really good law enforcement professionals who are working to protect and serve our communities and hopefully, you know, future leaders within that organization.
0: How, how has your higher education helped prepare you for a career in law enforcement?
1: So ironically, my dissertation, I studied the educational level of police officers, criminal justice curriculum, and then police satisfaction. And, um, you know, just real quick, the overwhelming, uh, and this is comparing two different jurisdictions with college professors, police chiefs and college students on Long Island and in New York City. Um, It was overwhelming uh, 60 college credits, ironically, not not an associate's degree, but 60 college credits. But some jurisdictions that required a a bachelor's degree had um, a higher level of achievement amongst their staff. Their sick rate was lower and better interaction with their community. Now, nothing has changed since my dissertation other than the fact that I was able to become Dr. Toulon after completing it. But, you know, I I do encourage my staff um, because there is a reimbursement here in Suffolk County if their education is related to their job to continue their education. Uh, We try to support them. We try to mentor and we try to assign uh, staff members who um, not assigned formally at, at work, but if we find someone that's studying a particular area, a particular discipline, find someone to help work with him or her to get them through the process.
0: That's excellent. Chair, I have about 500 more questions. I'm gonna have to have you back sometime. I appreciate you spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. This year, over 50,000 law enforcement officers have been assaulted while on duty. A vast number of these attacks were filmed and uploaded to social media in the pursuit of likes and attention.
1: What they want to do is film you instead of like, what can I do to help this officer?
0: Together, we can change this disturbing trend. If that individual would have hit the right spot, you know, it, it could have been it for me, you know, last time I would have saw my wife my kids.
1: I'm Mike Solon. Law enforcement officers need your support. If you see an officer under attack, then follow these simple steps in order to help. 1. Call 911 and give the officer's exact location. 2. Ask the officer if you can assist. If the officer accepts, then do whatever you can do to safely help. 3. If the officer declines, then start filming and be a good witness. It's time to stop filming and start helping.